Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, Steve. So I think we're live because I had to set it up for a 5.30 start. They don't have a 5.45 start. So shall we go ahead and crank up the show? Yeah, why not? Sounds good to me. Oh, we'll just start a couple minutes early here. All right. Tipping point intro here. (laughs) Yeah, sure. All right. (laughs) Three, two... One. Good man, a lot of time. Which direction we are going? That wrecked the El Camino. It would have been DWI. have reached a tipping point. Ladies and gentlemen, those who identify as non-binary, it's time once again for the tipping point, our special guest. I'm very excited about this one. It is Sean Dean, the captain, who is also appearing almost simultaneously on AEW Dark Tonight, but... I am not Sean Dean, I'm Stephen Platinum, and I'm joined, as always, by the man about town, too, too green to be brown, Larry Goodman. How are you what doing the tonight, fuck Larry? Is I don't know what that means. I don't oh, know what boy. That means, so. I, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm also looking forward to this. This is an interview we've been trying to set up for a while, and I'm, I'm glad we're able to finally get a time where we could talk to Mr. Dean. Uh, Me too. You know, like uh, Sean Dean, I mean, I don't know if this is something I should say, which means I'm going to say it. Um, You know, they recently had, I don't know if you would call it a round of cuts at AEW, but basically they're bringing in different people to work AEW dark and that kind of thing and keeping some and other ones they're not going to use, at least for the immediate future. So I was really glad that Sean Dean basically made the cut. Um, from what I heard. So I was really glad to see that. I think he does a really fantastic job on that show. And, um, and so I'm just excited to talk to him. Flat out. I, so. Along those lines, I read where they cut yeah. a couple of uh, women. Was it Sadie Gibbs was one and, and, and another one. But was that something different or was that the AEW dark cuts of which you speak? No, that was different, and that was related to all of the drama surrounding Jimmy Havoc. So they did not – so they let Jimmy Havoc go, and weren't those women in question caught up with the Jimmy Havoc thing in somehow, some way? Or they were caught up in some kind of drama and um, hadn't been used for quite some time. Right, And I guess they just felt like this was a natural time to sort of let them go. Now, you have to think – I mean, AEW – how can they have all these people on the roster? I think for COVID, they were just they they were determined to keep on as many people as they could. But now they're going to have to go through a process of who are we going to keep, who are we going to use, who are we going to you know, and all of that stuff. So it's, the next few months should be very interesting as things kind of heat up. As wrestling seems like it's really getting into high gear now. Interesting, interesting. Do you, are you privy mm-hmm. to anybody who did not make the cut of the AEW? Dark people? Yes. Um, from what I heard, um, Pineapple Pete slash Shrug D did not make the cut. Oh. Yeah. Well, it was that's too tough. bad. Very unexpected, right? Because um seemed like they were doing a little something with them and that kind yeah. of thing. But that's what I heard. So. Uh, well. But they're bringing um, in someone that's going to be on Dark. Is this guy Rob Risen that I know from the Colorado area? Yeah, so, I heard you talking about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He um, he's worked a thing or two. 
he's kind of friends with the Southern violence guys and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, he's going to make his way down. And I believe he's in a tag match. He's in a six man tonight and Sean Dean's in a tag team match against uh, Sonny Kiss and Joey Janela. So that's very hey, exciting. Oh. And we'll be, we'll be done with this show in time to, to catch it as it, as it, when it drops. So that'll be nice. Yes. So what do so, you uh, want to talk about, Larry? <laughs> yeah, well, like a couple things. Um, we, we have not been on since the WWE had their quarterly report and their conference call uh, that followed, which was the interesting thing about that is, of course, for the first time, they really got questioned hard about the ratings. Um, and yeah. even though they made record absolute record blowout profits because of all the all the costs they didn't incur from doing live arena tapings the stock really did still didn't move that much probably because of the you know with the wall street being so forward looking they're forward looking to what's really going to happen with these tv contracts even though it's a couple years off before they start negotiating these ratings are troubling yeah so um Interesting. Interesting. I, I I noticed on the notes from that conference call that they were um that they kind of put on yeah we need to I, I mean this stuff always cracks me up because again it's just the same old song and dance right yeah we need to make some stars and we need to have some better storylines and we need to have things people are more interested in. so it's like so in other words your show sucks and the people on it suck great <laughs> very encouraging. <laughs> But behind the scenes, apparently they've been blaming the locale. They go like, well, the problem is we're at the performance center. Right? The right. problem is we need to change it. So now they've got the thing at Amway, and they've been promoting this Thunderdome thing, which I actually think is smart. It will get them a one-time viewership, of course, for SmackDown. But, you know, as they continue to do shows there, because they're there until mid-October at least, right? So that's a lot of shows that are going to be there. Is that novelty going to hold up or provide them enough of a boost until they can really get things going on the shows? I guess that's the real question. Well, yeah. I mean, even the Raw Underground got them a little mini boost out of curiosity. Now, whether that holds up or not is another story. I didn't see anything about ratings last night for them. Um, I don't know. Are they, if they're, Are they out yet? I have not looked. I usually look on Wednesday morning. Um, I would imagine, though, just based on my, the, you know, I do the, the Platinum versus Raw, I would guess that the ratings are going to be a little better still. Not because it was necessarily a good show, but it was a definite throw-it-all-at-the-wall show. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. It really felt Russo-WCW-esque, where it felt like every segment had two things happening minimum. So it was just like retribution dovetails into Drew McIntyre, which dovetails into MVP, which dovetails. I mean, they crossed over so much stuff. And there was stuff that felt like payoffs too, which was very weird. <laughs> like it feels like Ray Mysterio and Dominic already got revenge on Seth Rollins. And like, yeah. I was like, why did they do that? And um, so it was a show. That you, it's it reeked of desperation. I guess that's another way to well, say it. Like it felt like have, they were definitely like, okay, watch. Like, don't let them change the channel. Don't let them turn away. That's what it felt like. I certainly would have not have thought that AEW would have been able to surpass the, them in eighteen to thirty fours. All of their shows. All of their shows within the first year. That really and surprised me. What people don't understand about that stat, Larry, is we're not talking some kind of percentage or whatever. We're talking sheer number of people watching in that yeah. demographic are looking at Dynamite as opposed to Raw. So, yeah. in fact, at their lowest ebb, wasn't it like 18 to 34 men? You know how many men were watching? It was it was a ridiculously low number. It was like 6,000 people. I mean, it was like a number that you would not even believe. Um, and so, yeah, AEW, for all their flaws, and people love to talk about them, but, man, I don't know. It feels like they're doing pretty good 
um, with the potential to do great. And I think that's the part that really irks people is they want to see them make this great leap forward. But I'm just happy that they're in the game, <laughs> frankly. So. Well, yeah, I mean, you you and I were talking last night. I mentioned that, I mean, like, my wife is the ultimate lapsed fan. She hasn't given a shit about anything on wrestling in a long time. <laughs> and she will stop and watch parts of uh, AEW. She wants to sit down and watch this six o'clock show next Saturday. I was like shocked. Like, you really want to watch this? She said, yeah, six o'clock Saturday night. That's when we used to watch wrestling. I want to watch this. Oh, so, that's I mean, true, right? If they can, I mean, if they can actually, I don't know how many laps fans there are that that really matters to anymore. God, that's really old and lapsed. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, it's going to be interesting for sure. Um, I know this. Yeah, especially if they, yeah, go ahead. I'm a, I'm of the mind that if AEW gets pushed during the basketball game itself, that will additionally help them. I get sure. the feeling that for all of the money that the WWE gets, that those stations are, are in more of a wait and see mode with them of like, you have to show that you can make it on your own. Just everything from, and people have commented on this, like, I even look at what are your lead-in shows? I what know. Are, are they running? Are they running commercials for you during the lead-in show? And the WWE, they don't run lead-in commercials for them. But AEW, <laughs> you, you get at least a couple of spots. It's always something that skews younger with AEW. I mean, Raw's lead-in is SCI. I mean, CSI for crying out loud. I mean, it's murder. And then, you know, AEW is always something, it's always something young and hip or something fun. You know, it's something that definitely leads you into that show in a good mood. And then they always have, here are the two big things that are happening. And, um, you know, and then they catch you up with last week a little bit. You know, whatever the big thing was last week. Last week we saw this orange juice dumped on Chris Jericho. Now, if I'm not a wrestling fan, I might see that and just go like, what the heck is going on on that show and stay and watch. And again, it just feels like they're working in lockstep with the station and it doesn't feel that way in spite of their importance to the station for the WWE. So. Hey, yeah. My, I mean, CSI, that's my 87 year old mom's favorite, you know, (laughs) she loves that. She loves that shit. Um, Hey, let's uh, switch over to the to the local scene for uh, uh, a second. Um, we've got yes, uh, a couple of people uh, jumping into politics, hopefully more successfully than Paul Lee. Uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt Griffin's going to run for Paul the. Cool. Matt Griffin's running for the town council in Tyrone. Yeah. Um, wow. And uh, uh, Bubba Cagle from over in Alabama, is running for mayor of Parrish, Alabama. Hold we'll up. We'll see how that... Small scale, <laughs> but, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see Larry, how you're going to have to catch me up on who Bubba is. Who's Bubba? So, Bubba Cable, Cagle wrestles under several names. He wrestles under the name Bubba Cable, Cagle, he wrestles... Wrestles... I can't talk tonight. Wrestles <laughs> as Mr. 1985 Ricky Cagle. And um, he also has wrestled under a mask as the um, uh, Ultimate Dragon 2 or whatever it was um, years ago um, <laughs> over in Peach State. So anyway, he's, he, I only know of him because I've gotten more interested in Alabama wrestling. and He's been working the Pro South shows, and he runs, he's the promoter of New Era. Oh, okay, I got you. So yeah, if I remember yeah. right, um, he's he's more of a conservative bent, certainly. Matt Griffin, not so much. Matt Griffin definitely um, has his left leanings. And so I find that really interesting, too. And Matt Griffin is a guy who I'll, I, I'm friends with him on Facebook, so I'll see him comment here and there on politics and that kind of thing. So he obviously feels passionate about uh, about running. So it is certainly an interesting story. And speaking of Matt Griffin and also our guest tonight, uh, the captain, Sean Dean, uh, yes. Action SCI has announced their future showcase 
for Saturday, October 3rd in Chattanooga at the TW Arena. It's going to be a doubleheader show. So they're doing the future showcase at 2 in the afternoon and then a regular uh, TWE Chattanooga show that evening. Oh, wow. Yeah, and Sean Dean's in the future showcase. They'll be announcing other people as we go along here, but but Dean is Dean is going to be there as part of that. Wow, Sean Dean is really making the rounds. I saw that he uh, he's gotten new gear. He's like white pants that are sort of Power Rangery. Looked good, man. Yeah, good. <laughs> I was going to so, ask him about that tonight. Yeah, that's I've used that photo for the um, show tonight. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And uh, yeah, you I'm had big, mentioned. Like, mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, no, you, you mentioned what? You had also uh, uh, referenced David Garrison and Total Aggression Pro and him wanting to do a thing where Ryan Staples uh, comes out with with doing a Black Lives Matter thing. As the heel, yes. And so he I, would be the I, heel with the Black Lives Matter. And I know you said you think that that's a good idea, but here's my, here's my quibble. It's obviously to feud with Garrison's son, who does a Confederate flag gimmick as a face. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> Another Confederate flag guy. Well, you know, what's what's interesting to me is that that would be heel in Cornelia, but you go over to Piedmont, mm-hmm. Alabama, and the top babyface group is this left-hand path, all black guys, and they're the, you yeah. know, who, then they, they, they don't look like babyfaces by any stretch, but they're the top babyface team over in that little town. It's kind of an interesting contrast. Wouldn't expect it, but that's the way it is. It just is. goes to show you, Larry, because it's not about where you are. It's about who books you. And it's been said mm-hmm. that, like, you know, your league is a reflection of you. And it's like Ace Haven clearly has an affinity for the left-hand path. And David yeah. Garrison clearly has an affinity for his own kid. And so, <laughs> that's, you know, it's said that every great booker has had, like, sort of what inspired them and wh- how they built the promotion around. Like, um, like Paul Heyman, apparently, like, the Raven character was, like, his muse in a lot of ways. And sort of a reflection mm. on how he wanted wrestling to be. For Vince McMahon, can you guess what it was when I heard these guys talking about it? Uh, Vince no. McMahon's character that he most closely identified with. I have no clue. The million dollar man. The million dollar man. Oh, shit. And so that's why, I mean, this, that's why, you know, it, it really was this sort of reflection of, like, when I heard it, I went, that's kind of brilliant. You know, like, it's sort of like his, his id spilling out before us. And um, I was trying to think of what was my uh, muse. Like, I didn't really think of it that way. I'm like, but what's, Who's the like character or the angle that I thought of or I cared about the most? And you know what I realized it was? It was Shane Marks. Like I really put the most thought into Shane Marks and Mason the Demigod. Those are the two that I would like sort of really, not that those guys didn't do the work. They did, absolutely. But Shane Marks, I was really worried about every little aspect of like I wanted him to be an unabashed babyface folk hero. I didn't want him to be a tweener. I didn't, you know, I just wanted him to be presented as this like really yeah. great wrestler um, who could overcome all appearances because that's kind of how I saw PCW, right? It's like you can judge from the outside, but then once you, then you know, and that was Shane Marks in a nutshell. And then Demigod Mason was my like, my love of the theatrical and the overblown and all of that stuff. Right. You know? Right. So, right. Uh, uh, well, what do you say? Shall we bring on our guest? I think he's in the green do. room now. He's a uh, Chicago transplant. We'll talk about that a little bit. Oh, no. He's, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. He's known as the captain, and he's featured regularly on AEW Dark. Welcome to the Tipping Point, Sean Dean. Yo, what's going on? What's going on, man? What's going on, guys? How you guys doing? All right. All right. Doing really good. 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 Looking yeah, forward to yeah. watching you in a little bit. So oh. <laughs> you're teaming up. 
Now, who's the guy that you're teaming up with against uh, Sonny Kiss and Joey Janela? Because I didn't recognize the uh, name right away. This guy's a uh, guy, Frank Stone. He is uh, from the New York area. Uh, he's been wrestling for a okay. while. He's a prior military guy. Um, he's trained by uh, Jimmy Snooker, he told me, and uh, oh wow, <clears throat> some other people out that way. And uh, actually did some stuff with New Jack. New Jack was one of his managers when he was uh, wrestling early in his career. And uh, he is. <laughs> so, yeah, man. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. I think he's been wrestling for about 14 years or something like that. Yeah, he's a re- really good oh, guy. Wow. Military guy. He has his guy out of the military yet. So he's a, he's a good guy. Frank Stone. Okay. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, I, you know, I, I love your work on AEW Dark. I think you're one of these guys who really gets what to do. I also think that you find ways. What's the what's the atmosphere like? If you could speak of that, like, do you feel the pressure to like show out? Do you feel the pressure to do the job that you feel like you were hired to do? What's your mindset going into these matches? Because I I do feel like you find a way to stand out, but you certainly don't take away from what you do. So. No, I just go out and do a job uh, and just do what's asking me and, you know, listen to the coaches, listen to the personnel there and just and just do my job. But I also go out there and just, you know, have my own flair to it, whatever it is, you know, whatever I can get in, I try to make sure it's the best. You know, they they, they stress a lot about, you know, you may not get this much, you may not get that much, whatever, but um, at least do what you do and do it to the best of your ability, make sure it looks good. And that's just what I, you know, what I do when I go out there, just make sure that whatever I do, I don't try to do nothing that's too crazy, nothing I've never done before. I go out there and stick to my basic core uh, things that I'm really good at, and I just try to execute it in different ways in each match. I mean, there's, I mean, I know it's, it's, it's kind of inauspicious to say, but like, Nobody has taken <laughs> like Brian Cage's finisher better. I remember, <laughs> I remember, I remember you got hit with that thing, and that move scares the living shit out of me. I just gotta. I, it's one of those things. I the story I heard about it. It's the it's the drill claw thing. You know what I'm talking about, Larry? So you like yes. reach up in the suplex yes. and then drop down in a pile driver. There's so yes. many things about that move that I find like, oh my god. Apparently, Scott Steiner, who used to do the move prominently. It was his test. So he would get guys in the back, and then he would just name all the stuff he wanted them to take. And, of course, with Scott Steiner, it was five million freaking ridiculous suplexes, right? He was like, you know, and there's this, and there's this. And then he would say that one, and he would kind of look at them in the side eye to see if they were willing to take it. And he actually respected the guys that were like, Nah, man, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really want to take the thing. But you took it, and I thought you made look. I thought you were a huge part of sort of Brian Cage looking, um, looking very dominant because you have size on you. I think that's one of the things that separates you a little bit from some of the guys on AEW Dark. Is uh, one when you do the dive over the rope, it looks it looks bananas. It looks so ridiculously good. Um, and and I, I, I noted that you were the first person who ever was given a replay in a, in a losing effort. Like you were losing the match, but yet they replayed your move, which I thought spoke well of you. Um, and you have size on you, and your stuff gets, looks good and gets laid in. Um, is what's, what's some way that you think that you've improved through the people giving you advice or just going through this process at AEW? What's something that you think that you've sharpened up on? Uh, it's really just, just being a sponge, man. Listen to all the, the veterans backstage and uh, just learning how to, how to work those, those quick five-minute matches, you know, training with, uh, with, with QT. Um, and even when I train with AR Fox, we would do, like, practice matches and things like that where we have five minutes to put it. Uh, something together. So going into that setting, well, there's two things to that. Being, you know, we empty arena, right? So we're doing this, these empty shows and things like that. So coming from AR Fox School, WA4 in Atlanta, uh, we have free shows every Thursday, right? So we break wrestling in front of small crowds, and 30, 30 people maybe, 20 to 30 people, something like that. You know, we have a super show, maybe we get a, uh, over 100 or something like that. But that helped me be able to be in the zone and not to play wrestled in front of big crowds, but I've also wrestled in front of small crowds. So being in that setting, 
and being one-on-one with a guy or, you know, in a tag match like that, it really didn't take me out of my element too much because I had done both spectrum of it, you know, wrestling in front of 500 to 1,000 some people at, you know, wherever we're at versus, you know, being here and there's nobody there or wrestling in front of our peers. That's kind of made me feel a little bit more comfortable and able to go out there and do um, what I've been trying to do. Um, and then you take the five-minute aspects that we do uh, with with QT, and it's uh, it all just comes together, you know. Uh, just going out there, not getting in your head, knowing that you're here to do a job, and it is a yeah. job, you know. You, you're working, so you want to put your best foot forward at all times. So this is what I do every every time I go out there. I just try to learn something different. Uh, keep my keep my mouth shut and my ears open, pretty much, you know, and just <laughs> and just listen and take those things in and write stuff down and and uh, just try not to make the same mistake twice. You know, I'm really big on that. Just coming from uh, an athletic background. Uh, playing football and things like that, you just never want to make the same mistake twice or have your coach, hey, you're steady doing this wrong, and you know, we talked about this, and, you know, so I just never want to come out and do the same thing, mess up on the same thing twice. So I just always listen, be a sponge, and just be as coachable as possible. Nice, man. You, sounds like you're a pretty disciplined guy. Oh, man, military football, all I am. Growing up in, on the south side of Chicago, man, you got to have a – a disciplined mindset, man. You can never be caught slipping, can't be caught lacking. You gotta always be <laughs> be focused on the task at hand. <laughs> so uh, let's talk Chicago for a second. Where where specifically in Chicago? Where'd you go to high school? Uh, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, Inglewood, uh, Inglewood, uh, Chicago, Illinois. I went to uh, High Park High School in the High Park neighborhood, uh, which was way out of my. Uh, zone that I lived in in, uh, in Chicago, but uh, growing up in Inglewood, man, it was rough, you know, uh, I grew up in a rough area, uh, but I had uh, both my parents around, I had I four older brothers and a, a sister, so, uh, you know, we were real close, so just doing all that, being in sports and having that good family foundation, man, and and being focused and disciplined on, on what I wanted to do in life, which at the time was play football and baseball, uh, it really helped me navigate away from all the negativity that uh, that area or that neighborhood can bring, you know. So uh, my parents stayed on me with my grades and with uh, with athletics. Uh, my brother stayed in my butt, you know, to make sure I was doing what I was supposed to do. And it just kind of was like a ripple effect, you know. And I did that for my brothers that were under me <clears throat> and my sister as well. Uh, and I carried that on through my high school career when I went to Half Heart, uh, played football there, and uh, – yeah, you know, I just was grateful enough and, and thankful enough to to get away from that negativity that, you know, like I said, that that area kind of has on a stigma behind it. Well, um, where did pro wrestling come in for you then? Uh, so, I mean, I've always been a wrestling fan, you know, as as most people are when they get into wrestling. Uh, I watch wrestling a lot. My dad used to uh, do some kind of side stuff. He told me, like, uh, uh at the amphitheater or something like that in Chicago, he would come and do some uh, Aragon, Aragon Ballroom or something like that, and he would yeah, they would have wrestling shows there, and he would uh, do things there. So that's kind of how I got, like, a grasp and started watching it was through my father. Um, and then as I got older, you know, I, I stayed in tune with the product, watched a lot of WWE, watched a lot of WCW, um, and then later on TNA or, or, and things like that. Uh, but it wasn't until, like, about 2015, I had just finished playing arena football, and uh, I took a year, well, 14, I took a year off, and I was like, man, I still kind of had a desire to compete and, and wanted that, I guess, that need to be in the competition, you know. So I was watching, uh, doing my homework, as a matter of fact. I was doing some helping, helping my daughter with her homework. And Tough Enough came up on TV on WWE, and I was like, oh, man, you know, Triple H was talking about Tough Enough is coming back, and all this stuff, and I was like, all right, cool, well, you know what, I'll, I'll enter this time, you know, I, I, I did a promo for uh, for the thing, and I sent it in, and uh, 10,000 views later, I got, a, <laughs> I got like a, you know, got some buzz about it, and uh, I wasn't fortunate enough to go to the Performance Center and, and be picked for Tough Enough, but just the experience to, you know, cut a promo and get some uh, feedback on it, and and feel like, maybe, maybe I can do that. I went and did some uh, training in Chicago. I, I went to a, uh, one of the local uh, indie shows in Chicago and, and met with a guy. Uh, his name is Santana Starks. And uh, started working with him for a little bit under his promotion. And uh, we couldn't really train every day. We would train like once a week on a Thursday. And uh, we would 
set up the ring at the uh, famous Berwyn Eagles Club every night. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yes. Yeah, oh wow. The whole ring. We would we would train, and then we finish training, break the whole ring down, and put it back up. And sometimes it'd be like four or five guys or three three guys there, you know. And there's three of us setting this ring up, taking it down. I did that for about a year. Um, and after that year. I had, I just felt like, you know, I needed to get more reps. You know, in wrestling, you need the reps. So I felt like I needed more reps, and I was at getting into independent wrestling. I really wasn't a big fan or knew much about independent wrestling. Uh, but then I saw about uh, AAW in Chicago, and that's when I met AR Fox. And I was setting up ring crew because they were having a show at the Berwyn's Eagle Club, and uh, I was on a ring crew for that night, and I set the ring up, and I was backstage, and I was talking to Fox, and he just was, you know, just explaining it to me, giving me, teaching me game, and he was like, hey, if you ever want to come to Atlanta and, and if you ever want to train and you want to, you know, be serious about it, he was like, you got a good look, you got a good build. Uh, he was like, man, I can get you right. Uh, just let me know when you want to come down. And uh, just so happened, man, my wife was uh, wanted to move to Atlanta because she was a pharmacist, and uh, yeah, man, the rest is history. I moved down here in uh, October wow. of 2017, and uh, my wife was finishing up uh, school, so I let her stay there, my daughter and all that. You know, I just, I went, I wanted to go all in on this dream. So, uh, yeah, that's what I did. I left in 2017 uh, when my wife graduated in uh, 2018. She moved down here and, you know, the rest is history. I, I met, met up with Fox and started training with him in November of 2017. Fantastic. Wow. You know, one thing about that dive that you already mentioned, is I wasn't familiar with you until I went to action and you you worked the action show. And the first time you did that dive, I thought, wow, who's this guy? Where did he come from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I um, for a little bit down here in uh, Georgia, man. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, what I find so great, Sean, is this. Um, it seems to me, I've talked, to this, talked about this with Larry before, like the new generation of guys seem that they're they're much more put together in a lot of ways, just as people, like they have like full kind of like lives and they've, they've either been in the military or college, you know, they've lived a little bit and they kind of have their head screwed on. Right. But then you have the added advantage of you're already, you've already kind of got your life set in some ways. Like you're married, you've got kids that you've taken care of. And I think that that's, mm-hmm. a, that's actually an advantage in this day and age. Because, I mean, we, and without, without naming names, I mean, we've, we've had all kinds of people on the show who went on to do sort of great things in that they got signed by WWE or AEW or TNA. And we thought, you know, oh, they really seem to have it together. But they all, like a lot of them had that fatal flaw of, in a way, they were still sort of like naive young men because they didn't, you know, they got caught mm-hmm. up in traps or they got caught up in whatever nonsense. Whereas it seems like you, you're you really in a good spot. Like you kind of, you have your life together and wrestling is an addition to your life, to your already full life. Right. And then if you, if you end up getting signed by AEW or whomever, it will be because you clearly deserve it. And I don't imagine that you'll fuck it up. I don't think Yeah, yeah, you say that and, and, and that's true, I mean, I've been through You know, I've, I've just coming from Where I'm from uh, I've been to the military, I've been In college, you know, I had A, a child at, at a pretty young age 21, 22 years old um, I've went to college With my daughter, you know uh, Getting out and going to class and I got my daughter in the stroller with me on my hip and I'm going to class taking these classes at night to get my my bachelor's degree in criminal justice you know uh players in a fraternity you know uh long nights doing that and then getting up in the morning going straight to work you know so uh, I'm very familiar with the grind and the patience about you know just things happen when they're supposed to happen you know uh whatever is for you is going to happen you know so nobody can take that away from you and I and I, I live with that mindset so uh, I just got to continue to keep doing the work, you know, and when that day come, I just know I'm going to be ready for it whenever it happens, you know, because I've been given the tools and I've been put in a position to be ready. It's just a matter of when that's going to happen for me. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Sean, how, 
how did you come to decide to go with the captain? Uh, so <laughs> the captain, uh, it, it, it stems off you know, from my military background, uh, being in the Navy. Uh, the captain mm-hmm. is one of, is the guy that leads the ship in the Navy. So, you know, you can't do anything without the captain's permission. You get in trouble, you go see the captain. Uh, the captain runs the ship. Uh, so I took it from that standpoint, but also, I mean, in my, in my athletic background, when I played sports, I was the captain of my, any team I've ever been on, I was the captain, whether it was the main captain or the co-captain. I've always been the captain of my team. Uh, and in my fraternity, uh, I pledged in one of the greatest fraternities in all the land, Phi Beta Sigma. <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, while I'm in, in, uh, within that organization, I was uh, a captain of my ship, me and my uh, my other frat brother, uh, and I was the captain of that ship, meaning I, I led me and him to uh, our journey through our process and uh, to become uh, a part of that distinguished nice. uh, fraternity so during that whole entire time i just have been a captain you know so I, I i lead with a positive attitude uh i'm real big on never leaving anybody behind a couple of my friends if they're listening can attest to that <laughs> uh i'm just i'm just i'm a stand-up guy you know so uh and if my ship is going down i'm going down with my ship and i'm going down with a fight so uh that's where that captain attitude come from uh you know so yeah Nice. I, I wonder if we're ever going to see a captain versus captain match. Captain Sean versus Captain Gunner Bull. <laughs> Why am I not booking a he, show he, in he Georgia? He, Are you he, kidding? He threw, it, it he threw it out there, man. He, he threw it out there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, back down from the challenge, you know. I, seen I want to see that. Days, man. He's, in, he's in fantastic shape, so, you know, uh, I wouldn't be opposed to it. He's a good guy. I don't know him on a on a personal level, I haven't worked with him yet, but just, you know, I, I think he's in, uh, I haven't heard too many bad things about him, but, you know, if we ever <laughs> got into the ring together, <laughs> if we ever got into the ring together, I would definitely uh, give it a go, you know. Yeah. Well, I guess you're you're going to be in the ring together at that um, uh, Southern at Honor Rumble show, Jack. right? You're, aren't you both entered mm-hmm. in that Rumble game? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Southern they are Island, the Rumble Jack, you know, we, we'll, we'll see. If, if he doesn't get eliminated, you know, or if I don't eliminate him by chance, you know, we'll see. Maybe maybe we will get the uh, go toe-to-toe. Get a little dust up, get a little captain-captain action. <laughs> so, Sean, you, um, has, has the AEW thing helped you getting booked locally? Because it seems like you're on everybody's freaking show. Is is uh, do you think it's because of the AEW thing, or do you think it's just one of these where it's kind of your time, People know people know that you're you're good business and they're booking you. Like how is it? Because I I see you on everybody's show now. That's so great. I will say uh, AEW has has helped get uh, get my name out there. I mean, people in Italy know who the captain is. You know, which is crazy to me. Uh, so yeah, it has helped. Uh, but for me. With a lot of these bookers, it's like now it's like kind of like the ball is in my court. Before it was, you know, a lot of getting left on red, a lot of not returning my, you know, messages uh, and things yeah. like that. So now it's like me. Now I can. Now I got the ball in the court. You know, I can. I make the decision if I want to work your show or not. And if I don't feel your show can benefit me, then I don't need to do it. You know what I mean? So and that's mm-hmm. yeah. it's not cocky to say that, but it's just that that's just how my mindset is now because I knew my value then. You just didn't see it. You know, so it took for me to get on a bigger stage, which is fine. But at the same time, I know my value now, so uh, other companies have to recognize that, you know. And and for any company that would want to book me or do business with me, I mean, you can see what I do on AEW on Tuesday, YouTube it, Google me. No, <laughs> no, but, but, uh, no I, I, I really, you know, if anybody wanted to work with me, man, and, and, and the situation was right and things like that, I'm, I'm perfectly open to it, man. Like I said, I'm, I'm real humble. Uh, you know, I, I, I just, I'm joking with that. You know, I'm real humble with it. Uh, and I, I just enjoy the work, man. I, I just enjoy wrestling. I enjoy good wrestling, you know, so that's just my thing for any promoter that wanted to book me. If you got a good wrestling show and you got a good quality opponent, we can get down and, and do a good show. I guarantee you won't be, uh, dissatisfied. Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, I, you, I mean I, you are joking, but you're not joking, and I like that. <laughs> like, I, like, it's good. It's, it's good that you know your value, because yeah. I, I think something that COVID's done is it really, in a lot of ways, separated the wheat from the chaff. Right? Yeah. <laughs> there was far less wrestling to look at. 
AEW Dark became a much more prominent thing. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it was unmistakable. Like, here are people who are, and you know, because there's all kinds of drama in freaking Georgia indie bullshit, right? It's like, oh, you know, we don't want to work with so-and-so. And if you go work their show, you don't work my show. And hopefully that stuff has been knocked and blown away. Because we now see it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> like, none of that no, shit matters. And, and that's true, man. It doesn't, man. It's all about, especially for... Guys that, you know, when I was in my position coming up, and I'm still a student of the game. I'm never going to stop learning uh, this, this wrestling yeah. business, and I'm always going to learn something, and I continuously uh, watch wrestling. But that's what that's what I really like, uh, would love about going to being at AR Fox School and even with, uh, with QT is that, man, you don't have to sit outside of a ring for three months, six months before you get in there and take your first bump. Uh, you get to get the reps in, and you cannot – learn this business or learn how to work if you're not working. Like, if you're not taking the bumps consistently, if you're not learning, if you're not hitting the road, if you're not learning from the – you're not going to learn. So to say that I can't work your show because you it's another show 100 miles away, that's that's BS to me because we – at the end of the day, we're all – you're not booking uh, primetime talent or, you you know, it's it's other local people who I see on a, on a daily basis and they're working that show – just let us all work and just keep getting these reps so that we can get a build a a highlight tape or get some matches, some consistent matches with some good footage and, you know, uh, some good quality product out there so that we can send it out to other promoters and we can leave this area and, and go out and spread our wings and fly and continue to learn, you know. So it's just, it's just all about reps, man. I just really like getting into reps and, and working. <laughs> yeah. If if they're not paying you a living wage, fuck you. That's my, always been my attitude. When I wrestled, mm-hmm. when I ran PCW, I never told anybody they couldn't do another show. There might have been shows that I went, I would advise not doing that show because it's a shit show. <laughs> and you'll get hurt or whatever. But beyond that, no. I was like, I'm not. if I'm not paying you a living wage, I had no right to tell you where to work, period. Yeah. So, like... You know, like it's one thing if AEW said something to you that's different. They're paying a re- they're paying real money when you go up there and do the do that work. But like, yeah. So I was again, I was just so glad to see it's like, good. You know, like the Rumble Jack is a great group of talent, right? Like it's just just like you look at that list and you go, that's a great show. And then you know, AC Mac against Chip Day and like. I'm like, it's a good, it's a good card. It's just a good card. Um, Chip Day, I like Chip Day. I like Chip Day. I had a really, really good match with him at uh, AWE hmm. uh, at the beginning of the year. Yeah, me and him had a really good match. Little, little six minute match, but it was really good. Really good. I really like Chip Day. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Well, Larry, do you have any more Chicago related questions? I can, I can stay I, out of it I, for a bit. I, I don't know if I have any more Chicago related questions. Okay, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you one. I'll give you one more Chicago related, just a little piece of trivia. Please do. Please do. About, <laughs> I heard you talking about my gear earlier uh, while listening mm-hmm. in. Yeah. So each pair of gear, each pair of gear I represent is a tie to something personal in my life, or it is a colorway of a Chicago sports team. So I have a black, uh, all black gear with silver. Type trim in it. That is a, a homage to the Chicago White Sox. I'm a Southsider, so that is like my Chicago White Sox gear. Nice. Uh, my blue and black gear is a, a tribute to my fraternity. Uh, my fraternity colors are blue, and, blue, black, and white. Uh, so that's why I wear that gear. Uh, the white and gold. Now it is a, a, a tribute to the White Ranger because when I was a kid, that was like something really like dope when I was a kid growing up. But the white gear, yeah, I feel so old. The, the white and gold gear also is a representation of all the championship caliber teams that have come out of Chicago. So you're talking about the Blackhawks, oh, the Bulls, the Bears, the uh, White Sox, the Cubs. Uh, so that is why that gear is white and gold, uh, even though it is, you know, a, a tribute to the White Ranger as well. But that's also just a, a – to pay tribute to the championship caliber uh, team mm. in Chicago. Here, um, here, some more here, gear here. That's coming, you know. So yeah, all my gear, every gear that I wear is a tribute to uh, the city of Chicago or something personal uh, in my life like that. Like I have a military gear that I'm coming that's going to be tribute to like my time in the military. So yeah, nice. I do like that white and gold. 
<laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank so, you. That's probably one of my favorites, yeah. <laughs> so you got uh, the this Southern Honor Rumbles, Jack. You got the Future Showcase coming up in October. Any other yeah. local places where people are going to be able to catch you? Um, as of right now, uh, not right now. Uh, the, the Rumble Jack and the Future Showcase is the two things that I have that are coming up. Uh, the Future Showcase I'm really excited about. Um, honestly, I mean, you know, I think that I should have been in it last year. But, you know, hey, it's, it's all good. A little late to the party, but we're here, you know, and I'm going to go there and, 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 and do business. You know, I'm going to go there and, and, and put in work and, and show uh, exactly why I am the future of uh, professional wrestling, you know. So uh, who's ever, whoever else they announce, uh, they need to understand that if they're not coming with more than 100%, it's gonna be a rough. It's gonna be a rough weekend for him. So they better be ready. Nice, great, nice great. man. Was there anything you want to say here at the end, Sean? Anyone? Any oh, shout outs you want to give just, or anything like that? Uh, man, I just want to uh, appreciate everybody that has been tuning in to AEW Dark. Man, this has really been uh, an amazing experience uh, to say the least. Uh, I'm just really blessed to have the opportunity to be out here and perform and, and provide entertainment to the thousands and millions of fans around the world that are watching uh, AEW Dark. I mean, we have like a half million fans that watch on a weekly basis, which is crazy, you know. So uh, to have that and have that platform is, is, is fantastic. And I just want to appreciate everybody yeah. that's out there watching it. Uh, you can go on to uh, IWTV and see some of my matches at Action Wrestling. Uh, a lot of great bangers on there. Uh, from there, with Action Wrestling and Sup uh, Underground, check that stuff out. Uh, and just you know, like I said, Google me on YouTube and or and, and check out the show, man. And just really enjoy uh, and get that entertainment that we probably everybody needs right now. Everybody needs a little escape from what's going on, man. And I'm just glad to be a part of of that uh, escape. Thanks, man. Well, keep kicking ass, Sean. I can't wait to watch AEW Dark, and I'll have my report in it as usual, see if you can get the three checks for your match. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> All good stuff, man. An absolute pleasure to talk to you. Best of luck in the Rumble Jack and in the uh, Phoenix City um, Invitational uh, for the Fantastic. young talent, you know? So it's great stuff. Thank you. Thank you. And yes, thank you, Sean, and thank you for your persistence in working with me and getting this finally set up. This has been a pleasure. Hey, no problem. I know we have been trying to get each other, man, between travel and all kind of stuff, man. I'm just glad to be able to, you know, give you that, give you this call, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks sir. All right. All right, guys. Salute. You know, Larry. One of the reasons I want. You know, one of the reasons I wanted Sean Dean on. What's that? Because we're good fucking luck. <laughs> many people, many people, after, and I think if we went back and looked at the history of Tipping Point, we would be surprised at yes. how many people came on this show. No, I'm not, am I saying it's because of this show? No, I'm not saying no, it's, no. It's, it's a causal relationship. What I'm saying is, if Larry and I wish to talk to you, it's because we see, like, not just potential, but you're doing good work, or you're doing interesting work, or you're 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 catching one or both of our eyes. And if right. that's the case, that's usually an indication that you're on the right path. And so right. we have talked to many people who soon thereafter, not just eventually happened, but soon thereafter, got signed to some kind of deal. Of note, and I certainly wish the same for Sean Dean. I think he's a guy who, I, I think he's the kind of guy that won't let you down. And honestly, if they gave him a ball to run with, meaning something with a little meat on the bone as far as gimmick or an angle, I think he's somebody who could really blossom into that role. So that is my that is my hope for him for 2020 and 2021. That more than just being a guy who wrestles a great match and does everything well. Um, a guy who really gets a chance to show showcase all the aspects of being a professional wrestler in the modern day. So. I will second that. When you got a guy with that kind of dedication, you know, you know, I'll, I'll give that guy the ball to run with. Yeah. 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 
I have a strange question before we go, Larry. That's one of yeah. the reasons I wanted to make his interview a little shorter. This is something I was thinking about a lot. So um, with the passing of Kamala, I've been thinking a lot, and then somebody sent me the um, Wrestling Observer thing about Kamala, and it's breathtaking. Like, just it's breathtaking in, like, how much money that guy drew. He was four, He drew the fourth most amount of money with Hulk Hogan. Can you believe it? It's staggering. He did, he did almost as many dates with Hogan as, like, Orndorff did. Orndorff is, like, <laughs> you know, they went around the horn, like, three times with Orndorff. And Bossman, too, was on the list. But, but it got me thinking of this. There's obviously nobody who's got a thing like Kamala's anymore for any number of reasons, right? And it got me thinking about other people like Bruiser Brody. There's not really a Bruiser Brody. Who's somebody from your, from you growing up with wrestling who you go, I wish there was somebody like blank nowadays. Well, Whomever you've, heard me, you've heard me bring these guys up before. You know, I always go back to my childhood of, Dick the Bruiser and the Crusher, you know, guys that were that had this this larger than life aura about them, um, that were you know, of being such tough guys. Whether they were or not, who knows? But they they certainly pulled it off. And there's there there's nobody, you know, like I look at the 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 the, the Ring of Honor guy, Beer City Bruiser, I guess is that his name? Um, yeah. Who's who's doing that gimmick? It's like, oh, come on. I was going to say, it's a little on the nose, is it not? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. No, I don't think so, buddy. I just not, it's not happening, mm-hmm. you know. Um, th- those are guys that I go back to. And, and, of course, another one, Mad Dog Vachon. That guy was, even mm-hmm. though he was a little guy, oh, wow. he was so scary. He was so crazy. The way he did his promos and everything, yeah, yeah, that he's another one. Uh, one thing about Kamala, though, um, you know, yeah, I just I have to say, I didn't get Kamala. I saw Kamala in the Omni numerous times, and I have to say, I did not look forward to his matches. I didn't particularly find them entertaining. I, he just was somebody I just did not really get. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was I thought the gimmick was hokey or whatever, but. I just didn't, you know. I admired, I was thinking of, you know, if they used, we had Kamala Jr. in PCW for a limited run. Um, Because uh-huh. <laughs> he happened to be in the Atlanta area. And I was just like, oh, I get to book like some version of Kamala. And it was a lot of fun. One thing I did love about Kamala in retrospect was, this idea of like, I'm thinking that pro wrestling illustrated cover, the famous one where he's got Hogan's bloody head on a spear. Mm. And I remember thinking like, there's, there's nobody, there's guys that can work heel, but there's nobody that feels dangerous in the right Right. way anymore. Now you may argue, "Mm, because wrestling has changed, blah, blah, blah. I disagree. I just think, that people are too quick to turn the terrifying people are, people are not patient enough to remain scared. People mm-hmm. turn fear into, into getting fear on their side and then baby facing it too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I don't think like MJF, his struggle is going to be remaining heel. And the yeah. only way that he's able to do it is to be a chicken shit heel. Like, I, I think if he's any other kind of heel, uh, people are looking for something of value to attach to him so they can start rooting for him. So he's having to go this much more chicken shitty route in order to keep heel heat. I don't know if you can have a monster anymore. You, you, I mean, Braun Strowman, a- they... Yeah, I just don't know if people. I mean, people don't even let Larry like like Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers. I say these names, and all people have is nostalgic good feelings. <laughs> like nobody's scared of those guys anymore, and I think it's because that's the way we deal with fear: is we immediately turn it into something else. And in wrestling, it's happened. I mean, Braun Strowman. There was a time where the Bray Wyatt shtick with Braun Strowman and Eric Rowe, you know, with, with those guys, 
was it genuinely creepy? Sort of like there is a vibe of danger about it. It's like, what the? Are they fucking magicians? Like, what the fuck is this thing? And then all it took was a bunch of people going, well, I'm going to put out my lights with their lantern too. And then they joined the party instead of rejecting them as heels. And I don't know. I don't know. You make a great point because it's that edge of danger. That's one of the things I most miss about the way wrestling was. And it's rare when I come across it anymore. You know, one of the last times I felt any of that was a Logan Creed match at the, at Anarchy. Um, Mm. Because he's so huge and does things that guys that size shouldn't be, have any right to do that, you know, you get that feeling that this guy, if he wanted to, could just crush me with his bare hands if he wanted to. That 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 kind of feeling from somebody. And there's not not too many times when you get that kind of edge of danger thing anymore. We're guy in guys who are he, heels and never break character. Um, you know who you know who I miss in our modern wrestling society, uh, Kevin Sullivan. Kevin oh. Sullivan as a heel in Polynesian wrestling. When he's, and yeah. So he's got, I mean, I, I really was blessed when you think about it wrestling-wise. Like, because it's Kevin Sullivan. It's Mark Lewin at his most Mark Lewin-ness, <laughs> you know, and, and Fallen Angel. Like, that's yeah. what I watched on TV every week. Is it any wonder I got into wrestling? I didn't have a chance. I grew up in the era of Fallen Angel, Missy Hyatt, and Miss Elizabeth. Like, I was never not going to like wrestling, right? But, I mean, I remember going to shows at Polynesian Wrestling, and they would get color on some jobber. And I remember, even knowing wrestling was what it was when I was in high school, I would wince. I would actually wince um, when they would get color on a guy. And Mark Lewin rolling his eyes back, looking crazy. There was... It just felt very dangerous, and it felt yep. like I'm I'm seeing something I'm not supposed to see. And then, but then you know, but Fallen Angel is there in a bikini, and she looks hot. Like it was just such a sensory overload. It was awesome. Yes, if you didn't get to see Mark Lewin, that guy was something else. And not a and again, not a big guy. I mean, tall. I mean, he he was he was thick, but he wasn't tall. But he, right. he was scary, scary dude. Mm-hmm. Intense, and that's the only, that's the way you had to go in Hawaii is you had to go because they weren't scared of white people generally, right? But mm-hmm. if they, you were a crazy white guy, they had to believe you were crazy. And Kevin, I mean, they pushed every boundary that could be pushed and still get that show on television. And um, I just don't see, I mean, I'm looking at retribution and it doesn't matter what they do. They're not scary. And no. in a weird way, that gimmick should be terrifying, right? Cause it's based on right now in the world that this could happen, but there's something about it. That's so hokey. Like they don't even know how to make you scared anymore. No. <laughs> and I mean, no. I look at, I look at Karrion Cross and I go, that entrance is so great. That that guy and they're gonna be babyface in six months because they they won't know what mm. to do with it without it getting stale because there's no real it's theatrical but it's not scary and it's not and it's that's not their fault I'm saying like that's how we've conditioned wrestling audiences of everything is safe everything is safe you don't have to worry. They're not going to come over the rail. They're not going to, I mean, my first experience with live wrestling was Bruiser Brody coming through the crowd, swinging a chain, demolishing a bunch of seats and almost running me over. Right. How do you compare with that? And then he goes in the ring and he, he's beating up whatever jobber he's facing. And then the referee tries to stop him and he hits the referee. So he gets disqualified. So he loses. Doesn't matter goes out of the ring, picks a different part of the crowd, wipes that whole section of chairs out, swinging his chain, and people ran from that man. This was not like, oh, you can't hit me. This was like, oh, no, I'm going to die. And I, would, I wish wrestling could have that feeling again. Yeah. Here's, a, here's a more recent one from you, and it didn't, it didn't last. But when uh, Dave Batista was introduced in Ohio Valley Wrestling, mm. he was – the demon of the deep. And I mean, it sounds really hokey. Okay. But they had him actually 
rising up out of the Ohio River onto land. <laughs> and as stupid as that sounds, it was really because I mean, I mean, physically, of course, he was an incredible specimen. Is you know, at, at that young age, he was just like massive. And they, they had him coming out of the Ohio, the higher river. Because nobody knew who the, hell, who the hell the guy was. Nobody had ever seen him before. So you, you know who's got the closest to that, though. You know who's got the closest to scary right now um, is Abaddon. But then they let her wrestle a competitive match, and they yeah. exposed her. Yeah. And how they should have handled it is, and I cannot emphasize this enough. I know I'm talking a lot, but. I think you need to, to pick your spot, make a big choice, and everything has to be filtered through that lens. So if it's, I'm like the girl from the ring, I'm a savage monster that might be from another world, then you're wrestling, you shouldn't be doing the widow's peak as your finisher. You should no. be doing a complicated setup drop finisher that makes us think of another female wrestler. It should be rip, tear, shred, kill, kill, kill. If we get counted out, I don't care. I'm destroying you, and then I'm, you know, and then I'm leaving as mysteriously as I arrived. Yeah, and they messed that character I, I, up. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, and again, at PCW, we tried stuff. I, I'm not going to say, not all of it worked. Of course not. It's an artistic venture. Not everything's going to work. And, then, and at times, I remember you would be confused, of course, because it's PCW, like, you know, remember you had that one girl, that one masked girl that would come out with a chair and just beat dudes up and leave. Yeah. And, and it was, and, it, and for a lot of people who were first timers, it'd be like, what the fuck is that? But for the regulars, it was, no, this is their policing system. So whenever we have more heels than faces, when like whenever there's a gang beating, she's going to come out and take the side of the one person against the gang, no matter what it is. That was our regulation system. But really what I wanted was I wanted the crowd to anticipate, like, oh, is that one girl with the chair going to come out? And, you know, I just wanted to create this atmosphere of, yes, things are kind of crazy and out of control, but there's a system to it, and there's a fairness to it in a weird way. Plus, I just wanted a character that people went, who the fuck is she? And that was cool. And, you know, I remember when she came out to face grotesque and the crowd loved it because it was just like this, oh my God, it's like, this is, we didn't even know we wanted to see this fight until we're getting to see this fight of mm -hmm. grotesque against her, you know? And, uh, you know, and then he's the first guy who's going to no sell chair shots and he's, you know, Nessa, what is this going to be? And I just was like, oh, this is great. In my own little world, I created Godzilla versus King Kong, you know, in a PCW way, <laughs> except it's a hot chick with a chair and, you know, <laughs> a movie monster. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, the things we used to have to do with grotesque to get people to be genuinely frightened, um, you know, it's like, well, we got to have a real chainsaw or we got to, you know, or it's like, well, let's do this thing where he pulls teeth out of this person's mouth and then throws the teeth into the crowd. And we actually had somebody's wisdom teeth. And so he actually oh, pulled real teeth out of this guy's head with, and, you know, and threw it out to the crowd because I was waiting, waiting, waiting. And sure enough, two people picked him up and went, there's a real fucking teeth. And I remember them yelling that out. And then the audience just like <laughs> blowing up like, oh, my God, those are real teeth. You know, and it's like, but that's the length. Or we had, we once had grotesque drown somebody, and I rigged this bucket so you couldn't see the breathing tube. But he held Timmy McClendon's head in there for more than two minutes. And Timmy played it right, which is like twitch, 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 twitch. And then everybody was laughing at first. And then people started going like, because, you know, water's flowing over the top of the, the bucket. And then it got quiet and grotesque is still holding him there. And then people got really concerned and like, let him up. And then people started getting out of their chairs to go, to go try and help. And I went, this is what it takes to scare that's, our modern wrestling crowd. That's you suspension know? of disbelief. Yeah. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, I hope you know, that I know Sean Dean is, yes, please. Mm -hmm. What well, just one other thing, and, I, and this is not to pick. I've brought this up before, and, it, and I, it's not to pick on him, but like at AWE, it it always bothers me that, like like during the middle of the show, you just see everybody 
heels and faces, everybody just standing together and watching the matches. Um, yeah. You know, on, on the one hand, I know, like, everybody knows, everybody knows, you know, kayfabe's dead, blah, blah, blah. But I don't really need to, don't really want to see it in the middle of the show. It might, is that wrong? I mean, like, just, it just don't really it's want to see it. It's not wrong. You know what I would see if I was on that show? I would see an opportunity for me to be different. I think it's one of those things MJF has figured out. Everybody else is wink, wink, nod, nod. I will not be wink, wink, nod, nod. And you yeah. get more out of it. Yeah, I think that's what it's going to take is someone at AWE just goes like, fuck these fucking guys. These guys are my fucking friends. Yeah. You know? right. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not here fucking linking arms and pretending that I'm part of some AWE movement. Fuck you. I'm here to, like, kick ass and make money and win a title. And, you know, I, that's, I mean, I can't fight the tide, Larry. Like, that, nowadays, they're sitting in the crowd. It's just. Ugh. But to me, if I was working, I would find that an opportunity to mm-hmm. be different. Mm-hmm. Take advantage. Take advantage. So, WWE well, too. Like I think they need to, someone needs to be smart enough to take advantage. I don't know who that is. The guy that refuses to do charity stuff, or you know, like if you're a heel. It's hard to accept you as a heel when then you're part of some PSA for the WWE or you're, like, saying something nice. Like, I know, again, that maybe that ship has sailed, but I would love to have the one guy that's just, like, I'm an unabashed heel. You know, like Randy Orton, great heel, and then I got to watch some Instagram post where he's making a jokey joke thing with his wife and falling in the water. Right. You know? Even even even, so. if, even if that ship has sailed, there's plenty of baby faces to do that stuff. You don't need to have the heels doing that stuff. But I guess yeah, yeah that's, that's people don't see it that way anymore. If this, you know, I'm just a crotchety old timer, so I'll shut up about that. And let's bring we'll bring <laughs> this show to an end and uh, yes, be back in two yes. weeks uh, for this weekend. We've got uh, Southern Fried on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Pro South on Friday. I don't know what else. Yeah, well, hopefully they redeem themselves from that crappy show last Friday. That was not good. Um, So hopefully this one will be good. So we got them, and then we'll have, and of course, the Friday after, we've got Southern Honor with the big Rumble Jack show. I think it's an important show, not just for them, but for Georgia Wrestling to see where they're at, not just in terms of crowd size, but in terms of, you know, can they, can they, get the ball rolling again. And uh, there certainly seem like Dylan seems like he's shooting for the moon booking wise. They've really booked a big, big, big show. So we shall see how it plays out. Yes, we will. Well, thank you, Larry. And thank you to Sean Dean, the captain. Uh, Best of luck. I'm looking forward to watching him on AEW Dark very soon. (laughs) So, So for Larry Goodman, I'm Stephen Platinum. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks on The Tipping Point. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support. 